0: This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's
1: largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM.
2: When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong.
1: It's 10 minutes after 5. Good morning again. Orion Samuelson here with you, and later on, joined by Max Armstrong our weekly get-together to talk about the most important industry on the planet, producing food for you and me. So good to have you with us here on this Saturday morning, as always, and we're going to be visiting with an annual guest once a year. This guest shows up here on the Saturday morning show, different person but the same title, Alice in Dairyland the lady who promotes Wisconsin agriculture beyond the dairy farms. There's a lot more going on agriculturally in our state to the north. And Alice in Dairyland will be here to talk about maybe some answers to your Christmas gift list, the annual something special from Wisconsin, and some of the products that are available right now in gift packages to present to anybody on your christmas list so she'll be visiting with us here shortly on the saturday morning show also this morning uh, we need to take a look again at some of the details of the announcement yesterday on the phase one of the u.s china trade agreement it'll go into effect well really tomorrow and we'll talk about what's in phase one of the trade deal that was announced yesterday. Finally, after a year of stop and go on progress in the China-U.S. trade agreement, finally, I think we have some agreement. More to go because there's still phase two and phase three to work on, but uh, we'll be watching for that. And I think they're going to get started on negotiating phase two of the U.S.-China trade deal. So all of that coming up when we continue with Alice in Dairyland here on the Saturday morning show. Every year for the last half century, The state of Wisconsin has chosen a young lady to be Alice in Dairyland and to represent the dairy industry in the state of Wisconsin. And just about every year for the last 40 years probably, we've asked Alice in Dairyland to join us in our studio to talk about something special from Wisconsin. So let me introduce to you Abigail Martin, Current Alice in Dairyland and tell us about your background, Abigail.
2: Yes. Well, thank you for having me on today. As you said, my name's Abigail, and I grew up on my family's dairy farm just outside of Milton, Wisconsin. And there we milk around 200 Holstein cows. My dad and uncle are still active on the operation to this day, and I'm proudly a fourth generation on my family's farm. So we've been there a long time, and I have very fond memories growing up in both 4-H and FFA and spending time on the farm with family walking around and caring for our cattle.
1: Did you show cattle as well and where?
2: I did. I showed at the Rock County 4-H Fair. That's where I got my start when I was years old and also loved showing at the Wisconsin State Fair and several of the district shows. And that's really kind of where my passion for sharing my story began as showing in Janesville. That's where the Rock County 4-H Fair is. It's a large town and people may not have contact with animals. And so they're able to come and see a cow for the first time. And I loved being able to share that with them.
1: Well, that's one of the main jobs that Alice has. And the many Alices that I've visited with tell me they always enjoy going to the grade schools and to talking to young kids and some of the crazy questions they get. Do you get funny ones?
2: (laughs) Yes, I've enjoyed so far all of my interactions with youth, especially fourth grade. That's when they're really focused in on learning about the history of Wisconsin, which of course includes the history of agriculture in our state. And one of my favorite questions was kind of a well-thought-out question a boy raised his hand and asked if the dairy farmers get together with the cocoa farmers to make chocolate milk and I said well I guess kind of like that not that we have cocoa farmers in Wisconsin but a well-thought-out question
1: I would say so (laughs) shows a lot of study in the background at one point in his life so as you represent not only dairy but you represent all of the facets of agriculture in Wisconsin uh, which one do you enjoy the most
2: well, definitely dairy is where my passion is. I have the most experience and I'm able to share from the heart growing up about on a dairy farm. But I've also loved talking about our cranberries and our ginseng and Christmas trees and everything in between because the diversity is what makes Wisconsin agriculture so special. So that's been a fun part of the year is learning about all of these unique agriculture communities in our state and sharing as I go.
1: You mentioned ginseng, and as a youngster on a dairy farm in Vernon County, Wisconsin, near La Crosse, I remember that ginseng was a pretty big product. But for those who don't know what ginseng is, give me the background.
2: Yes, I was learning as I started as Alice, too. So ginseng is a root that grows in the ground, and it's used in many traditional Chinese medicine recipes. And so the root is planted, and then three to four years later, so the root's about four years old when it's harvested, they'll harvest the root, and then you can either shred the root right into soups, or they make tea out of it, or capsules that you can take. And many people take it to increase energy or reduce fatigue.
1: We have talked a great deal over the past several years about selling soybeans and corn to China, but uh, we also export this product to who?
2: Yes, most of our ginseng that's grown in Wisconsin is being exported to Asian cultures because it's part of their traditional medicine techniques. And as Wisconsin, we produce 95% of the nation's ginseng, so we're proud to be able to share Wisconsin love around the world.
1: So let's talk about some of the items in the food basket that you brought to our house to talk about. Uh, where do you want to start?
2: Yes, yeah, so all of these products are part of the Something Special from Wisconsin program. And that program is really unique to the state of Wisconsin and highlights businesses that guarantee at least half of the ingredients, production, or processing come from Wisconsin. So especially a great time to be supporting these businesses around the holidays as people are looking for great gifts for family and friends and I bought a lot of great things, starting with cheese, of course. I had to bring cheese from Wisconsin, so I brought some from Marique Gouda, and they have award-winning cheese on the international level. They make 13 different flavors of Gouda cheese right on their farm from their, fa- from their family's cows.
1: Okay, cheese I expect, but there are a lot of other things that maybe I didn't expect.
2: Yes, I also brought some honey from Dancing Bear Apiary. They have their own set of bees, and those bees pollinate on local wildflowers. So that gives the honey a bit of a different taste. For those who don't know, honey can change in the taste depending on where the bees are pollinating and getting their nectar from. So kind of a unique one there. We have honeybees in Wisconsin.
1: And uh, you have mink farms in Wisconsin.
2: Yes, we do have mink ranches in Wisconsin. We have more mink pelts than any other state, and we're very proud of that and proud of the sustainability efforts that the mink farmers are doing in Wisconsin
1: so what other items are special from wisconsin that you brought along
2: yes so more dairy products kind of a unique one is this malted milk powder it's made with real wisconsin dairy products and is perfect to turn your shake into a malt so many people around the fair season i know always love to go to the fair and get a malt well at home you can make your shake with some wisconsin ice cream and add in some malted milk powder from ctl foods made right in wisconsin
1: And, of course, the season calls for Christmas trees. What about those?
2: It does, yes. The Wisconsin Christmas Tree Producers Association, they're members of the Something Special from Wisconsin program. So it's not just food that's part of this program. And they're encouraging you to get out there, get out to a real Wisconsin Christmas tree farm, and get a real tree so your house, number one, will smell wonderful. I love that smell. But also real trees are recyclable, and they'll decompose after the holiday season.
1: And go back into the environment in a positive way.
2: Yes, definitely. They'll go back into the environment. And many people maybe are worried about cutting down a tree just to use. But I've been reassured by Christmas tree growers that they plant one to three more trees for every tree that's harvested each year. So trees are continually being planted on Christmas tree farms.
1: And really, the only difference between a Christmas tree and a stalk of corn, it takes corn less than a growing season to mature, but it takes a while for tree to grow to Christmas tree size
2: yes six to ten years is the average time it takes to get a Christmas tree the size for your home so many years those farmers are out there caring for their trees and not just November and December they're thinking about Christmas trees in August and March and times that we're not even thinking about trees they're pruning their trees and working on pest and weed control so really it is a 365 day job for our Christmas tree farmers too
1: and they have to pretty much make their money for the year at this time of the year during the Christmas season. So let's talk about some of the other products that you're featuring. Oh, and before we do that, where do people find out about ordering gift boxes and all that sort of thing? So let's start with the address, and then we'll talk about other things.
2: Yes, so all of these great products that we've been talking about can be found on the Something Special from Wisconsin website, and that is somethingspecialwi.com. You can browse hundreds of companies that are participating in this program, as well as the ones we've been talking about today to look for great gifts all year round.
1: And gift boxes are pretty much available from most of them?
2: Yes, that's the great thing. So if you're really thinking about wanting to order online, you can think local while trying to order online. Think about all these companies. Many of them have great gift boxes, and some even ship nationwide. So if you're looking to send some Wisconsin cheese to friends out on the East or West Coast, it's really easy to do. Many of these companies have gift boxes already put together. You don't even have to think about what cheese to put in there, and send them some Wisconsin love this holiday season.
1: Something special, W.I., Is there a dot-com on it? Yes. Okay. Something special, W-I dot com. Now, another area. What do you want to do when you grow up? (laughs)
2: Yes, that is a good question. I definitely know I'll be in agriculture in the state of Wisconsin. I love Wisconsin, and I love the people that are in the agriculture community in our state. And so I guess I'm not exactly sure, probably still spreading the good word about agriculture and maybe hopefully one day return to the family farm.
1: Has this year, as Alice changed, maybe some thinking on your part of what did you want to do?
2: It definitely has exposed me to a lot of different opportunities that are available in Wisconsin agriculture and there's one in nine jobs in the state of Wisconsin that relate to agriculture so the opportunities are almost endless whether I wanted to go back to a cranberry bog or learn more about our Door County cherries there's certainly opportunities to get involved for everyone not just if you grew up on a farm like myself.
1: And the apple orchards in Gays Mills and Soldiers Grove, that's where, as a kid, we'd always go to get our apples, and it's still there, isn't it?
2: Yes, there's many apple orchards in that area over there, but all over the state of Wisconsin, almost every county has an apple orchard. So great fall-time activity to get out there with friends and family and pick fresh apples.
1: Well, I don't want to bring tears to your eyes, but we're already beginning to look for the young lady that will take your place. How does that occur? How can they get involved, and when do they do that?
2: Yes, you are right. January already, they'll start looking for the 73rd Alice in Dairyland. And interested candidates, if you're listening to this or know somebody that would be really great at being an ambassador for Wisconsin Agriculture, they can head to aliceindairyland.com. They can find information about applying right at the beginning of January. Those applications will be open, and it's a really wonderful experience, just even running for Alice. You make a lot of connections in those couple of months leading up to the selection in May, and the lucky lady who's chosen to follow in my footsteps i know it'll be an amazing year
1: and can we send out a good morning to your dad does he listen to us
2: yes send out good morning to my dad and all of the dairy farmers my dad's in milton wisconsin so yes i'd love to especially give a shout out to our wisconsin dairy farmers that are listening this morning
1: so our thanks to Abigail Martin, 72nd Alice in Dairyland, representing the agricultural industry in our neighbors just to the north. More to come here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's 27 minutes after 5 o'clock now on this Saturday morning. One more time, the address that Alice shared with us, Something special. somethingspecialwi.com. That will get you all the information that uh, Alice and I discussed this morning, and uh, where you can go to order gift boxes something special w i dot com well, the big news yesterday was finally some agreement on phase one of the u s China trade deal but uh, not a lot of detail on what is in that agreement. So here are details of the deal that was uh, released by both sides and the broad outline similar to a deal in principle announced by President Trump in October that was dominated by increased Chinese purchases of U.S. agricultural goods. So the United States will not proceed with 15% tariffs scheduled to go into effect tomorrow on nearly $160 billion worth of Chinese goods, including cell phones, laptop computers, toys, and clothing. China canceled its retaliatory tariffs due to take effect tomorrow, including a 25% tariff on U.S.-made autos. The United States will cut by half the tariff rate it imposed on September 1st on a $120 billion list of Chinese goods, and that will put the tariff at 7.5%. U.S. tariffs of 25% on $250 billion worth of Chinese goods will remain unchanged, providing U.S. negotiating leverage for a second phase of negotiations expected to start early next year. U.S. officials say China agreed to increase purchases of American products and services by at least $200 billion over the next two years, with an expectation that the higher purchases will continue after that period. The purchases include manufactured goods, uh, also energy and service, and expected to reduce the $419 billion U.S. trade deficit with China. China has committed to increase U.S. purchases of agricultural products by 32 billion dollars over 2 years that would average an annual total of about 40 billion dollars compared to a baseline of 24 billion in 2017 before the trade war started and the uh, president trump demanded that china buy 50 billion dollars worth of american farm goods annually and so it's expected to be signed early in the new year. The two country presidents will not be available for the signing, but the trade officials who put the agreement together. So that's a little bit of what's in the announcement of yesterday. And Morning, come on the Saturday morning show. Before we finish our get together at 6 o'clock, uh, Max Armstrong will sit down with Richard Brock of Brock Associates to talk about market activity and where it could be going as we wind up this year and go into next year. Richard Brock, always interesting, and I know he's been busy appearing uh, around the Midwest at Outlook meetings for agricultural producers. Uh, Speaking of visiting around the Midwest, Max Armstrong has been doing the same at State Farm Bureau Conventions. He appeared at the Wisconsin Farm Bureau Convention in uh, Wisconsin Dells. And this week, he'll be at the Indiana Farm Bureau Convention. That will be in the southern part of the state at French Lick, Indiana. And that uh, pretty well winds up the State Farm Bureau Conventions, at least here in the Midwest. And then about halfway through the month of January, the American Farm Bureau Convention will be held in Austin, Texas. But right now, welcome to Samuelson Says. And today I'll be sharing with you what you shared with me your reaction to our tightening of the rules for the SNAP program. So stay with us for that on Samuelson Says. Well, a week ago on Samuelson Says, I shared the tightening of rules for the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as the Food Stamp Program. And at the end of my comments, I asked what you thought of that rule tightening. So Let me share with you some of the email responses. One email said, what do I think of the new rule? If you are able-bodied, without dependence, you should be looking for work and prove that you are looking for a job to take you off the welfare rolls and put you into the working community. Another email from a different part of the country said, I agree that there are some folks that need help to feed their families due to circumstances beyond their control. But, in capital letters, but I cannot believe that all that are on the rolls are truly in need of those benefits. Many can work and feed themselves, but they have found it easier to live on the backs of working people. And then there was this email, quote, The simplistic view of impeachment by any president is unacceptable, particularly as presented by you. By you, it's ridiculous. The Russian threat of world dominance is a real threat. President Trump has sold out the Americans who voted him in when he gives aid only if some evidence on his political opponent is produced. You should be ashamed of yourself, Mr. Samuelson. Your continued support of the President and Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. You should be ashamed of your support. And dignity of work is an excuse to pull support from the poorest part of America. And Mr. Samuelson, you know it. Shame on you. Okay. And thanks for sharing your thoughts and for taking the time to write. Sharing your thoughts instead of mine on Samuelson Says. A presentation of NextArm Media Group. And at uh, 23 minutes before 6 o'clock, well, look who's sitting in the studio with Max Armstrong. We'll find out when we continue. Here on the Saturday morning
3: show,
0: Richard Brock is in the studio with me this weekend. Lean up to the microphone, there, sir, and say hello to your many fans and friends.
3: Max, uh, good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it is, will we'll be listening to this, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting time of time of the year.
0: Well, we received the other day some new numbers from the USDA and their World Ag Supply Demand Report. But was there anything new other there than changes know, I, of international I rec- numbers?
3: I don't recall. Having been in the business now for 43 years, I don't recall a report that didn't change anything. Nothing changed in corn balance sheets. Nothing changed in soybean balance sheets. You know, you'd think they would have found something to change. But, you know, I, I think they're probably pretty accurate. Uh, you know, the I think a lot of farmers are still hoping that they lower their corn yield estimates. And... Um, in the surveys we've done with our own subscribers and audiences that we've spoken to in the last two weeks, we actually think the next time they will raise the yield uh, slightly. Uh, you know, they're at 167 right now in corn. Uh, we think it's probably going to end up around 168.5 or higher. Uh, it's not going to go down. Uh, almost everyone. We just finished a series of six seminars uh, throughout the Midwest and every audience, uh, 90% of every audience said they're, Corn yields came in higher than they expected them to be, uh, you know, three months ago. Uh, I mean, still below last year, but uh, corn yields uh, came in pretty good. And same thing true in beans.
0: What did you hear? I want to come back to, to analyzing that crop and that crop size in a moment. But what did you hear from the growers? What did you pick up on as you've been out with a number of producer groups? What strikes you? about their marketing of the crop, uh, their marketing earlier this year, or what they've done in a total income standpoint for 2019?
3: Nothing's, nothing's changed in 43 years. I mean, people still think the same way. They still do the same things. I tell audiences now that the two biggest issues farmers face in marketing uh, that no university teaches is confirmation bias, believing what they want to believe, only wanting to believe bullish news and not looking at everything. And the other thing is is habits. Uh, you know, And I, I learned this from a, a church retreat, uh, that the biggest problem we all have uh, in trying to make changes is we don't want to break our old habits. And, you know, a typical one in, in amongst some farmers, uh, today's generation markets the same way their dad did, who marketed the same way their dad did. And if you can't break those habits, uh, marketing results will, will never improve. And so what we saw uh, this week, and we were in all the way from Lafayette, Indiana, to Kearney, Nebraska, and we just finished off this week in Kearney, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Mankato, great turnouts at all meetings. And, you know, farmers were very optimistic, and they're very uh, pleased. Uh, those that marketed well this past year, by the time you throw in their insurance payments and their Trump dollars, uh, the biggest issue for a lot of these farmers are, you know, how, how am I going to avoid paying such big taxes this year? I mean, that is actually a real problem with a lot of farmers. And then you've got the bottom 10% that are still storing last year's corn. So this is no different than any other year. I mean, you've got the top 10% and the bottom 10% and a lot in between. And uh you know overall too, what we saw uh, is a, a real mixed bag in, in recent farmland sales. Uh, everything from I can't believe that farm brought so much to there was a no sale you know and there have been some no sales in all, all the key states in the last uh, three weeks and and then there are some sales that are you know near record highs and if you're in an area. Where uh, livestock producers are wanting to expand, and they need a specific area to put in new hog buildings, because there's a lot of restrictions even in Iowa where they can put in new hog buildings. You get into an area where hog buildings can be constructed now, and the prices are going crazy. Northwest
0: so Iowa would be a good yeah, example it's of that. A good would example. It not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good example.
3: Right. I mean, there's some land that's gone for you know, nineteen thousand dollars an acre, and probably not real big tracks. But you know, nevertheless, I mean, there's some really, really strong areas. And then if you get into areas um, uh, that are pockets that didn't have good crops this year, maybe haven't had good crops two out of the last three years, and in, in the farmland market is relatively soft, but, again, not really real weak. I mean, there's still a lot of money out there and a lot of money. And, and we all also found you know, uh, every uh, sale that was mentioned to me, it's always a farmer that bought it. I mean, uh, the investors are not buying that much right now. It's almost all... Uh, farmer purchases taking place so yeah it's i think it's an optimistic uh, uh attitude that most most farmers have right now and of course the, the pork guys are doing very well uh, beef is a mixed bag some doing very well some doing just okay uh and there it depends again where a farmers is located because the biggest issue some of them have is, is just getting available feed uh, you know lack of forage uh, lack of corn you yeah, know it's a uh, so it's really mixed. And, uh, but overall, you know, and, and then you've got a few areas that still have corn in the field. Um, you know, North Dakota's got some real issues there. And there's pockets everywhere where corn's still in the field. Some farmers are just waiting for it to dry down. Now, there, there are pockets that corn's still coming out of the field at 28 to 30% moisture. I
0: heard that this week. I heard a grower in Wisconsin tell me that he had corn that was coming out of there like 28%, 29% right. moisture. Let me ask you about that corn that is still standing Wisconsin, uh, the, the Dakotas, what's happening with that corn? A- and are we missing in the estimates of crop size some significant quantity of corn that's either going to decline in quality out there and you know, a decline in quantity?
3: i tell you one thing I did learn in the last two weeks. And this is a fault we all have as human beings: is picking one fundamental and wanting to think that's really going to turn the market around. And I do think Max, or a lot of people say, "Well, uh, there's too much corn in the field; you know, it's going to be really bullish." Well, uh, you know, if you take 800,000 acres off of the harvested corn acres, uh, and with the yields that are going to have, you're probably going to be talking maybe 20 million bushels of corn. It's not going to change anything. You know, it's not a big enough fundamental. Uh, nor is the low test weight. That's another. Uh, issue that a lot of people want to hang on right now. So a low test means we're going to feed a lot more corn. Yeah, we'll feed a little bit more. But again, that's not a major fundamental. uh, So those two things you feel are not significant enough to really move the needle. They're they're not significant enough to move the the needle. The the key thing to right now, two key fundamentals. One is a lot of this old crop corn is carried over, has to be priced before the end of January, a lot of it. Okay, that's keeping a lid on any major advances. It's not that we can't go up, but that's uh, not a bullish factor. And the other thing is, you look at early seed corn sales, and everything points to the fact to that we'll probably have 94 million acres planted this year. Well, if we get 94 million acres, have a normal uh, uh, crop, just saying a national average yield of about 176 would be trend line, uh, you're, we're back to 2.2 billion bushel carryover. And uh, two point four and and you're looking at, at prices that'll probably be you know fifty cents a bushel or more less than they are today if we have that, so you know th- that's what we're looking at. you know what are we going to plant? you know how many acres are we going to get? And then we'll start working on weather, but while our carryover is down from a year ago, no doubt it's not uh, it's not tight enough to really cause any major bull market. And our long-term issues in corn is we've uh, exported all of our technology now. Um, You know, 20 years ago, Max, we had a comparative advantage. U.S. farmers had a comparative advantage in raising corn. We had 75 to 80 percent of the world's corn exports 20 years ago. We now have 28 percent.
0: Repeat that sentence one more time.
3: Okay. 20 years ago, we had 75 to 80 percent of the world's corn exports. We now have twenty-eight percent. It's just been a steady uh, decline uh, for twenty years. In soybeans, we had sixty-five to seventy percent of the exports. We now have thirty-two percent. You know, before twenty years ago, I mean, Ukraine, for example, didn't export, didn't raise much corn, and didn't export any corn. Now this year, they have eighteen percent of the world market in exports. You know, th- this is a fundamental that we can't change, And
0: lest we forget it was political decisions right. back in the day. And uh, just, uh, you know, we, we thought we had stopped making that mistake.
3: But. Right. It's a lot of things. I mean, anybody can point fingers and, you know, you can say it's because of the mergers uh, and acquisitions. The seed companies moving overseas. That's a little bit of it. But we've had all kinds of other technology that's moved uh, uh, around the world. And um,
0: and we made decisions. Decisions were made in Washington to stop yep. for one reason or another or to disrupt exports. And it yep. hurts long term, doesn't
3: it? Yes, it does. And... You know, once it's lost, it's very difficult to get back. Uh, and I don't know how that's going to be done. But, you know, so you see a lot of farmers now looking for alternatives. And, uh, you know, it, I think the one thing that kind of concerns me, we had the worst production year that I can remember in 43 years. I mean, we had acres that didn't get planted. And yet, uh, look where we are price-wise. I mean, you know, okay, so we had a 60-cent rally in July. In corn and now we're back to where we started and uh, you know And then the other thing you know i think uh, producers need to keep in mind two old rules of thumb that have always worked old rules of thumb meaning never store a short crop always store a record crop this is a short crop short crops peak early and have a long tail this one's set up for that and every year time it happens people say oh but this one's going to be different max they're always a little different but the results are almost always the same and I mean, we're sitting, our clients right now, we're 90% sold in old crop corn and 40% on next year's. And, you know, we're just,
0: 90% sold on the 2019
3: crop. Right, and 40% priced on the uh, uh, crop that will be planted this coming spring. And, you know, some people are even heavier than that. I mean, we've had a lot of opportunities to sell corn over $4. And, um, you know, th- those are good prices. And I think if we plant 94 million acres, we're going to wish we'd have sold a lot more. And, I mean, there would probably be another opportunity here down the road. And, you know, we could be making a short-term bottom right now uh, this week. But, you know, I, I just, it's hard to be optimistic uh, in this corn market. And when you've got a good basis like this, uh, you know, we, we encourage farmers to, you know, take advantage of that and, uh, and put some money in the bank.
0: How about a quick comment on soybeans?
3: Soybeans are a little bit different animal. Um, Carryovers dropped uh, considerably in soybeans. Again, we've lost a lot of our export market. Uh, We we expect 80 million acres to be planted uh, this coming spring in soybeans, uh, but the carryover there is is tight enough. I mean, we're 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 heavily priced in soybeans too, and we have our customers right now sixty five percent priced in old crop beans, but and forty percent in the new crop. But once again, a couple months ago, we had some really good pricing opportunities, and that's when we did it, and we've just been sitting now, and so I, I don't know. Um, put a gun to my head and say, be bullish or bearish uh, soybeans, I think I'd duck. You know, I don't I don't have a real strong opinion on it. And um, so, you know, you get sharp rallies in here, I'd sell a little bit, but uh, I don't think a farmer has to worry about the soybean market falling apart here at all.
0: I want to come back to how we began this discussion. and I don't want to make somebody feel bad because they didn't successfully market in 2019, but I want to underscore the fact that folks who really focused on the marketing of their crops along with collecting a government uh, payment to make up for the trade war presumably along with the insurance another way of managing their risk there were producers who did okay this year
3: not okay great i mean there are a lot of uh, producers i mean the biggest concern this time of year is income taxes and so the
0: lesson should be going into 2020 Absolutely. If you've never focused on marketing, this is a time to do it like never before.
3: That's right. But, you know, Max, you and I have been saying that for 43 years, and it, it just hasn't changed. And the reason it hasn't changed is people don't change. You know, today's farmer does, a lot of people are just cut, you know, stuck in this uh, habit of doing everything the same way. And, uh, you know, they do it the same way their dad did, and they, he did it the same way his dad did. You know, a lot of farmers still... You harvest the corn, you put it in the bin, you put it under a loan, and hope hope it's higher in July. That doesn't work very well.
0: Well, it's a good thing that Armstrong and Brock aren't stuck in a run. We're not creatures of habit. Good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming in, as always. Merry Christmas to you, Richard. You, You too, Max. Richard Brock joining us this weekend.
1: We are three minutes away from news time here on WGN Radio Chicago. Just a quick look at a program. Well, I'm sure many of you remember, but I'll bet some of you don't. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue announced the Department of Agriculture opening sign-up for the Conservation Reserve Program. Remember that, CRP? And that was opened up earlier this week. Farmers and ranchers who enroll in CRP receive a yearly rental payment for voluntarily establishing long-term resource-conserving plant species, such as approved grasses or trees known as covers, to control soil erosion, improve water quality, and develop wildlife habitat. CRP currently has 22 million acres enrolled but they can handle as many as 27 million acres so if you're interested in getting involved or continuing in the conservation reserve program time to go in and visit with your farm service agency people. Finally, a look at where we ended market-wise yesterday in the grain trade. We saw the uh, March wheat contract up two and three quarters cents at five thirty-two and a half a bushel. The uh, December corn contract down three quarters of a cent, but the rest of the corn months ended higher. The March contract at three eighty-one. That was up three and a quarter cents. And the soybean market January soybeans up eight and a half cents, ending the week, nine dollars seven and a half cents a bushel, and in livestock futures, Chicago Mercantile exchange yesterday, February lean hog contract up sixty cents a hundredweight sixty nine dollars fifty cents, the December live cattle market uh, up two dollars seven cents ending the week at $122.37, and the January feeder cattle contract up $3.95 yesterday at $145.67 a hundredweight. So, and we did have a pretty good corn sale day, uh, export market on Thursday. Mexico making two different purchases, one for this year's crop and one for next year's crop. But we uh, sold to Mexico 1,074,000 bushels of corn for delivery from this year's crop and another sale of 525,000 tons for next year's corn crop. So that's how we ended, and that's how we're going to end the show here today. As always, we thank you for joining us. Thanks to Bob Ferguson for doing the engineering, and we look forward to being back with you a week from now on the Saturday Morning Show.
2: Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio
1: 720.